Good morning. Thanks for making it here through the snow. Uh, hopefully no one got stuck. I know the snow was pretty light this morning, but still, I know that uh, in previous cars I've had, I could have definitely gotten stuck in that snow. So hopefully you all made it safely. Uh, we're really glad that you're here. My name is Julie, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to welcome you and welcome anybody who might be visiting with us this morning. Uh, we're always really glad that you're able to come and worship with us. So we have been going through the Lord's Prayer uh, for a few weeks now, and if you were at our annual meeting, we t you might have heard us talk a little bit about how this year in 2020, we really want to focus on being a church that prays, right? We think there's so much value and power in drawing near to God and seeking him out and listening to him that we really want to set that as our theme for this year and as our tone of how we're going to do church. We want to rely on him more than anything else. Uh, and Miles kind of gave another example of how we're doing that this year. We're going to do these monthly pr prayer graphics gatherings that we're calling Power Hour. Um, I know it's a little bit of a cheesy name, but the idea behind it is thinking that it's one hour every month. I think everybody can spare one hour a month, and we just really want to draw near to God and experience that power of coming together as a community and praying. So we'd love to have you join us for that. It's going to be on Monday night on the 17th. So if you can make it, we'd hope to see you there. But that's also why we thought we'd start, well, we start the year, it's, it still feels like the beginning of the year in February, uh, going through the Lord's Prayer. And we pray this prayer as a congregation once a month. So once a month during our call to worship time, we stand up and we all say it together. And part of the reason that we do that is because it's the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples to pray. And so we think there's value in that. We think there's importance in it. And we also kind of view it as a guide to think about how should we pray, right? It's a short prayer. There's not very many lines, but each line really packs a punch. If you dig into each line, there's so much there, and there's so much that can help us think about what should my attitude be towards God when I'm coming in prayer? What are the things I should be bringing before him? How should I go about doing that? And so we're kind of using it as a guide or a model to look at and think, how do we do this? Well, what does it look like? And so that's why we've been taking it kind of line by line and really digging in what's happening in this line. Why would Jesus say, this is how you should pray? So today I get to talk about the part of the prayer that, if we're all being honest, is probably the part we pray most frequently. So this is the part where you request things. Uh-oh, I think we've got the wrong sermon slides up. Uh, let's see if we can get that fixed. Anyways, we're uh, looking today at give us today our daily bread. So this is the part that we often tend to, when we think about praying, or at least, I'll be honest, I often tend to, is I think to say, what are the things I need to ask God for? What do I need help with? What do the people in my life need help with? And so this is the part where we like to say, give us today our daily bread. Or if you're me, um, I say, give us our gluten-free bread, because... All, I know that all three of us who have food allergies here will think this is funny, but I laughed so hard when I saw this. If you can't read it, it says, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Give none to Peter, though. He's gluten sensitive. <laughs> so that's me um, and any of the rest of you. I feel you. But uh, before we really dive into the actual asking, right, what, what should we ask for? I think we need to stop and recognize that this part of the prayer is still part of the rest of the prayer, right? It's easy for us to kind of like read through the first few lines kind of as a formality, our Father, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here are the things that I really need to talk to God about. 
But it's important for us to think about the prayer as a whole. And one of the authors uh, that I read on this, he said that the danger of the prayer for bread is that we get there too soon. And I thought that really resonated with me. Uh, It's important for us to consider the big picture here. It's important for us to consider the request for bread within the context of the rest of the prayer. So I'm going to read the whole thing for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we've gotten through those first parts of the prayer uh, through the last few weeks. So Joel has talked about it, right? He talked about why it matters that we see God as both father, someone who we can have an intimate relationship with, someone who loves us and cares about us, but how we can also need to hold that intention with seeing him as being in heaven, being hallowed, being holy, set apart, other than us, um, and very important. And when we do that, when we hold that tension, it helps us remember who it is that we're praying to. And that's important to understand as we move into the rest of the prayer. It's important because then we look at your kingdom come, your will be done. We need to understand who God is and what his character is like in order to understand what his will and his kingdom is going to be like. What type of kingdom he has? Is it something that we want to have come into our world? And so, as we talked about the last few weeks, we do. This is a really important thing. We want God's kingdom, his love, and his holiness to be coming to earth uh, and to bridge that gap that we have between where God is and where we are. We want to live as if that's true now, and we want to trust God and his will. And this third petition for bread is actually there to support the second or the first and second petitions, right? This is to think about what do we need in order to help see God's kingdom and his will be done here on earth. It's not just a part of the prayer where we bring our lists of things to pray for to God. It is that too. I mean, I don't want to diminish that. Uh, but it's also a time where we remember who God is and what his kingdom looks like. And then with that in view, we bring our petitions to God. We ask for things that align with God's kingdom and with his will. So if I'm still saying the same thing, you're still going to bring your prayers to God, why does it matter, right? Why does it matter that I make sure I go through the first two steps if I'm still going to do the same thing when I get to the third one? And I think it matters because when we bring our needs into the setting of the prayer, it gives us a reason to bring our petitions to God. Right? We trust God as Father, and we know that he's powerful and holy. And it also reminds us that the ultimate goal of our prayers should be to see God's kingdom done on this earth. It's sort of like a gut check for our motivation, right? Praying the request for bread within the context of its original prayer it checks our hearts, checks our motivations. Bringing our requests in line with the rest of the prayer makes us ask, why do I want what I'm asking for? Am I viewing God just as a magic genie where I can just ask him and he will do whatever I ask him for? Or am I viewing him as the real, holy, all-knowing, all-powerful creator of everything? So when we take time to remember who God is and what he is at work in the world doing, it makes all of the things that we bring to him, puts it in perspective. It checks our motivations. And now what I don't want you to hear me saying here is that you can't pray for something or ask God for something unless you have the perfect right motivation. Because truly, that will never happen, right? We're all sinners. We're all going to bring our own uh, things into the prayer, our own motivations. 
But I think it's a good gut check, right? It's going to make us stop and make us think. And I think every prayer, regardless of what it is, could have good or bad motivation. So again, I don't want you to hear that you shouldn't categorically not pray for certain things because I think anything you bring can have a good or bad motivation. So for example, right, let's say if you're single and you'd really like to be married, it's totally okay to pray for that. I've heard other people say like, well, I don't know, like am I just being selfish if I bring that to God? And I think again, you're never gonna have a perfectly pure motivation, but I think there can be good ways and bad ways to pray for different things. So if you're praying for uh, a spouse because you think that you could learn about God's love in a deeper way by seeing, you know, the love of um, in a marriage, or because you think, man, I'd be really, there would be so many cool opportunities for me to do if I were married uh, to serve God in different ways. Those are great reasons to pray for a spouse. If you're just praying for a spouse because I don't know, you're, you're just lonely or you think, man, if I were married, that would just solve everything. First of all, it won't. I can guarantee you that. Uh, but second of all, that's maybe like not the best motivation to bring something to prayer. So again, if you bring that prayer in the context of the rest of it, it helps you kind of check your heart, check your motivation. Another example, right, if you're praying for a higher paying job, that's not necessarily a bad thing to pray for. If you're thinking, man, it would be great to have a little bit more room in my finances so that I could, you know, be in community a little bit more. I wouldn't have to say no to certain opportunities. Or maybe I could host people. I could invite my neighbors over, do different things, and not have to worry about the financial strain of it. Um, Whatever it is. Maybe you want to give more, and you're like, man, I wish I had more opportunity to do that. Great reasons to pray for a higher-paying job. If you're just doing it because you're like, "Uh, yeah, I don't really like my job and I wish I could travel more and I just want to buy a bigger house, et cetera, right? Like those are not as great motivations. So it acts as a gut check when we bring our prayers in line with the first part of the prayer. And again, I just want to say, you're never going to have pure motivation. So I don't want you to hear me saying, I can't pray unless I have it right or unless I have it perfect because that's not how it works. We're all going to have sinful motivations. Uh, But if anything, the best thing we can do, even when we feel that, is to bring our prayers to God in line with that. Because putting our requests in the context of the Lord's Prayer helps take the focus off of ourselves and it puts them back on God. So when you start with the beginning of the prayer, it's harder to be selfish, or at least it makes you think a little bit more before you do it. But if you're in doubt, I still want you to pray, right? God's bigger than our selfishness, so even if we bring a prayer to him with the wrong motivation, he's not going to be mad. In fact, sometimes when we bring our prayers repeatedly to him, it might change our hearts over time because it helps us think more about God's kingdom and what he's doing in the world. So one incredible example of this that I think we can all aspire to uh, is in the book of Acts in chapter 4. So Acts is a narrative book in the New Testament, and it's after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and it outlines the journey uh, that his disciples took after his death to go and spread the news uh, of the gospel and of who Jesus was. And Peter and John are two of these disciples, and in this particular story in Acts, uh, they're out preaching about Jesus when they get arrested, and they're questioned, and it just it doesn't look good for them. Eventually, they're let go, but they're kind of given a stern talking to, and they say, the people who grabbed them were like, do not talk about Jesus anymore, right? Don't go around, you're messing things up, you're causing, like, people are starting to think differently about the world, and we don't want that. So just don't talk about Jesus, and everything will be fine. Otherwise, you could be in danger if you want to continue doing this. So I want you to think, 
if you had some missionaries come to you and they were like, hey, I got arrested, I could be in real trouble if I keep doing this, will you pray for me? What would the first thing you would pray for be? Because if it was me, my first prayer would probably be safety, right? I'd pray that they would not be put in jail. I'd pray that they would not be hurt or injured in any way. I'd pray that they would be protected. But here's what the believers in Acts 4 pray. They say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So not only do they not pray for protection, or at least that we don't see it, they actually pray for more boldness, and they pray for more miracles and more things that are going to draw attention to the work that they're doing. But the believers, are, their hearts and their visions are so tied up with God's, they're so excited to see God's kingdom go forward, that that's the first thing that comes to their mind when they think to pray for these people. They want to see it happen more. They want more boldness, more miracles, more things that point to Jesus and that share the good news of the gospel. And I'm not saying that praying for like protection or safety is a bad thing to pray, right? And it's possible that they prayed for that too. We just didn't have that part written down. But I think the bigger point is that their main goal and God's main goal were so tied up. They wanted to see God's kingdom spread. And that desire was so much their first priority, so much more that it came before comfort. It came before making things easier for them and before even safety. So as we kind of go through these, um, Joel did this last week, and we just thought it was a good way to kind of think about the Lord's Prayer. We added in some little prayers that you can kind of think about, how might I pray this part of the Lord's Prayer? And so I added this part to say, Father, help us to align our desires with yours. Give us hearts that take delight in you and in your ways above our own ways. And the second thing I want to look at with this request and this petition for bread is the word today. So give us today our daily bread. Why not just say, give us our bread, right? Give us what we need. Uh, why not say, give us it for a week or give it to us for a month, right? It's today in the prayer. And if you look at the translation, it actually is like this very day. So it's very specific. One time today. And to us, that might not mean much. But to the Israelites who Jesus was talking to when he gave this prayer, it would have brought something to mind. There was a history uh, or a story in their history that would have come to their mind as they were hearing this. And this story comes from the book of Exodus, which is back in the Old Testament. Um, it's the second book in the Bible. And in this story, the people of God were just liberated from Egypt, where they had previously been slaves. And then now they're wandering through the desert. And they've only been in there for like a month. We know that they'll be in there for longer. Uh, but because they don't exactly know what's going on, and this whole freedom thing isn't looking exactly the way they thought it would, they start to grumble. That's the word the Bible uses, grumble. I think it's perfect. It just fits. Uh, and they start to question why God brought them out of Egypt. And they even look back at their time as slaves and think, man, if we were only still there, if we were still there, we, things would be better. And they accuse God of actually bringing them out into the desert to starve. So God responds and says, the Lord said to Moses, he says, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So the next day they wake up, and there's bread literally all over the ground around them, as if bread could just like sprout out up from the ground. Like, I wish that that was a thing. I would plant a bread tree in my yard. That'd be cool. Uh, so the Israelites go out, and they collect whatever they need for that day. 
So the Israelites complained about God. They didn't even necessarily complain to him. They complained to other people about him. They didn't pray to him. They didn't ask for what they needed. And God responded by giving them exactly what they needed. And as he does in Exodus, as he says in Exodus 16, he says he does it to show that he is God. He's the one who saved them. He is the one who hears them. So I just want to pause and think about that for a second. If God's willing to provide a group of thankless people who just complained about him a bunch with magic bread after they sit around and complain, how much more will God provide for us when we ask for him, ask things from him? But here's the other thing. In Exodus, God gave the Israelites exactly enough bread for that day, that very day. And they were actually told, if you take more than you need, you will not be able to keep it. And some people did, right? They gathered more than what they needed for that day because they thought, I don't know, is this going to happen again? Is this magic bread going to come back? I, I think I need to like store things up for myself. And the next day, the bread had turned to maggots. So God wanted to teach the Israelites to trust him, to trust that he would provide for their daily needs every single day, that this bread on the ground wouldn't be a one-time thing, but that he was there for them. And I think this is a little bit hard for us, right? Who here has a Costco membership? Or who likes to meal plan or buy two packs of things because you can get a better deal and then keep the other one for whenever you need it? Right? We like to feel prepared. We like to know that if we need something, it's going to be there. I'm going to tease Joel a little bit, too. He can be like, there's certain items that if we have, like, we're down to like five rolls of toilet paper. He's like, I got to go to the store right now. I, we need toilet paper. And I'm like, are we going to go through five rolls in, in one night? He's like, I got to go. We got to be prepared. We got to have this, these things, right? And I totally get that. There are other things where I feel that way too. Um, we like to be prepared. We like to feel like we're in control in that way. But that wasn't allowed in Exodus. And to some extent, this type of stockpiling, and I think it's more in a spiritual sense, right? I don't think it's wrong to shop at Costco. If you opened my freezer, you would see that. Um, But there's something about this idea of trying to store up and take care of things on our own that Jesus is saying, that's not how this works. In a spiritual sense, God wants us to rely on him and to trust him, trust that he cares about us and that we can rely on him so much so that he will give us our daily needs in that sense. So God gives us what we need each day so that we will rely on him. So I don't know what it is that's been in your prayers lately, um, whether it's energy when you feel sick or down, uh, maybe it's joy in a job that you don't really love, patience with your kids, peace in the midst of anxiety. But whatever it is, God provides daily. Most of the time, unfortunately, he doesn't just fix our problems so that we are never uh, you know, anxious again or we never are impatient with our children or whatever it is. He's there for us every day instead because he wants us to have that constant connection and that constant uh, reliance on him. So when we pray, we need to pray for our daily connection with God to get us through whatever it is that we're struggling with. You can still pray for big change, right? God's a big, almighty God, and he could change your circumstances tomorrow. And I'd be the first one to praise him if he did. But I think more often what he does is creates an, uh, an environment where we can be dependent on him, where we can learn to draw near to him on a daily basis. 
And it, if we don't like to do that, it can show that our view of God is someone who's just there to fix our problems when we call on him, but it's not someone that we view as our source, that we have a constant need for him in the way that we'd have constant need for food and water. So I think this prayer challenges us, right? It challenges us to pray for what we need daily. And then to, honestly, I think this is how we see our biggest change in our life, right? If we are relying daily on God for something, if you every day wake up and pray for patience or pray for peace in the midst of anxiety and you rely on him, and then again on the next day you do it again and you see God provide in small ways over those days, it creates this type of faithful reliance on God and obedience to trust him every day that in the long run will probably make you less anxious or more patient or whatever it is that you're praying because it's long obedience in the same direction, right? It's over time, that's how God works in our hearts. Over time, our view of God will grow. We'll see that God provides. We'll trust him more and our character will change. That's more often how God works, right? Sometimes he does big miraculous changes, but more often than not, he works through small incremental things about us learning about who he is, learning about what that means for us, and learning to trust him. It's in the journey. It's in the mistakes that we make. It's in the forgiveness that he offers. It's the steadiness of a life walking with God. That's where we see true change and true growth. But I think Jesus knew that this is something that his followers would struggle with. Because shortly after this prayer, uh, if you're reading in Matthew 6, he teaches something else to the disciples. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus looks at the surrounding world. He just picks the things that are around them and says, look at these things. Look at how I provide for the birds, even though they do nothing to earn it. Look at how I provide for the flowers, even though they'll be dead by tomorrow. Right? If I can provide for all of these things, then you should trust that I can provide for you. And then he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, right? That's the order of the prayer. Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then the give us our day, our daily bread. So the other part of application prayer that I wanted to add is help us to trust in you and your provision. Keep us coming back to you instead of relying on our own efforts and give us patience to wait on you and your timing. Okay, the last part of this uh, request portion of the Lord's Prayer that I want to talk about is what what do you do when it feels like God doesn't answer your prayer, right? Sometimes, why does it feel like sometimes our prayers fall on deaf ears? Why does it feel like sometimes our prayers go unanswered? And maybe you feel like, hey, I've prayed before and what I've asked for has never happened, so I don't know, I don't see a huge value in continuing to pray, or it just doesn't seem like it does anything, so why would I do it? 
And now I'm not going to claim to know how or why God does or doesn't answer specific prayers of yours, right? Because I think that's something only God knows. Uh, and we sometimes get little glimpses of that, but we can't know for sure ourselves. But I do want to give some things that I've seen either in my own life or in the lives of others that sometimes help us understand maybe why it feels like our prayers go unanswered. So one of them we've already talked about is just that it, maybe it doesn't line up with what God's doing with his kingdom. Right? I know I said I wouldn't comment on specific prayers, but I feel like this is a pretty safe one. If you prayed for a pony when you were like six or something and you never got one, it might be because that's not uh, what God's doing in the world. There was no kingdom benefit or value add to giving you a pony other than you know making you happy in the short term. But even as kids, let's be real, when they get the thing they really want, it's exciting for five minutes maybe and then it's on to the next thing. So I think sometimes we ask for things and we're like, why are we not receiving this? And it may just be that it doesn't line up with what God is doing. Maybe we need to check our own motivations and why we're bringing those prayers to him. Another reason could be just that God's timing is different than ours, right? For him, time is so different. It doesn't even like have the same category in the way we think about it. And there have been times in my life where I have prayed diligently for things for years and felt like, God, what is going on? Why are you not hearing me? Why are you not answering? Where are you in this? This is a really tough thing, and I've been praying consistently, and I'm not seeing any answers. Um, And then, you know, five years later, ten years later, whatever it is, I'll see an answer to that prayer. And I look back, and I think, wow, yeah, if God had given me the answer to that prayer back when I first started asking for it, there's a lot of things that I wouldn't have learned about who God was. I wouldn't have felt the need to draw near to him in those situations. I would have just relied on my own strength in those times. And I look back and I see, yeah, I had a lot to learn and God was doing something even though I couldn't see it. Even though I didn't understand why it was taking so long, I can see that God was at work even in that difficult time. And I've talked to other people who have done similar things. If you're a a journaler or if you write down your prayers, if you find that that helps you focus when you're praying, it's fun sometimes to look back at those things years later because you can see, wow, I was praying for this thing so hard and then later it happened and I didn't even like connect the dots that God was at work and that he was answering those prayers. So it can be a really cool way to look back and see how God is faithful even if it's not in the timing that we want him to be, right? Sometimes God's timing is different than ours, and we don't know why. We can't always understand it, but I think when we look back, we can oftentimes see God at work, even during those times where it feels like he wasn't there. And then this last point that I really want to zero in on is that God knows our greatest need. When I was in that period of waiting, like I said, where I was praying constantly for something, and I just felt like God was really far, and I I couldn't understand what he was doing, I came across a quote uh, from Tim Keller, and it says, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if he knew everything he knows. And like I said, I was not in a great place when I came across this quote, so I won't tell you my first reaction to it because it involved a lot of disbelief and some swearing. Um, But as I've had more time to think about it, I've really seen the truth behind it. Right? God knows everything. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen in 20 years, and he knows you better than you know yourself. So why wouldn't we trust that he knows what is best for us, right? We trust human parents to make decisions for human children and to know what's best for them when they don't know what's best for themselves. So why wouldn't we trust the ultimate father to do the same for us? 
And so sometimes I think when God doesn't answer a prayer in the way we want him to, we can still trust that he knows our greatest need. And here's the truly crazy part. Not only does he know our greatest need, but he's already taken care of it. Because ultimately, God is our greatest need. Bread can only sustain us for so long, but God is the ultimate sustainer. And he's the one who's given us his son, who referred to himself as the bread of life. God knows that our deepest need is for Jesus, for God himself. And that's why he sent Jesus, to live the perfect life in our place, to die on the cross, to take our punishment for us, to be far from God so that we could be brought near. Jesus experiences the separation from the Father that we deserve when he's on the cross. God doesn't answer his calls when he's on the cross so that we can know that he will always answer ours. Through Jesus, God has already provided for us. And that's true for anybody who believes in him, right? All you have to do to have that provision is to believe that uh, he is who he says he is and that his death, life, and life, death, and resurrection is true. And we also have to turn from our own ways of trying to uh, make it on our own, to try and do everything and rely on our own strength and instead rely on his. And if you think about it, when you think about your prayers, Jesus is actually the truest answer to all of our prayers anyways, right? If you're praying for a more satisfying job, no job is going to be as satisfying uh, unless you're working for a higher purpose. And that purpose is Jesus and his kingdom being brought on into the world. Praying for healing for somebody or for a friend or a family member, let's pray that. I want to see people healed in this world. But we also know that this world won't last forever, for true healing, for eternal healing, there needs to be the spiritual aspect of it, and that has to come through Jesus. If you're praying for justice to be done in the world, like, yes, let's pray that prayer. Let's work to see God's kingdom happen now. But our true hope is in seeing justice made complete when Jesus comes back and makes everything new And because we know that he's already taken the unjust punishment that we deserve for our sins. So he's the only one who can bring true justice. God's biggest goal for us is not to make us comfortable or happy in the short term. His goal is to give us peace in all circumstances, unshakable joy, and deep satisfaction that lasts even into eternity. So don't give up on praying, even if it sometimes feels like you're not seeing immediate answers or you feel like God's far. But be willing to hold your prayers with open hands, to trust that God knows what he's doing, and you can trust him because he's already provided in the biggest way possible through his son Jesus. So as we look at the last application prayer, I just wanted to say we praise God that, that you have already given us the bread we need, the bread of life, your son, Jesus Christ. Don't let us take your sacrifice for granted, but instead give us hearts of gratitude regardless of our circumstances. So we're going to head into a time of response in just a minute. Uh, and one of the ways that we respond after hearing God's word every week is through taking communion. And communion is a really beautiful way to practice the idea of daily bread from God, right? It's literally bread, something we can think about. It's a picture of what God has done for us and the ways that he already has provided for us. Uh, Wesley Hill in his book on the Lord's Prayer says that manna is only sustaining for so long. Bread can keep human beings alive, but not forever. For eternal life, stronger, more substantial bread is needed. And that bread is his, Jesus' own life, offered for human consumption. In communion, Jesus puts himself in our hands so that we know exactly where to find him. In that moment, we don't have to wonder whether God is for us. We know he is because we've just tasted his provision. 
He gives us his son, his life-giving flesh. So as we take communion today, don't just go through the motions. When you come up here and take the piece of bread, think about it as a picture of God's provision and the way he's already provided for our biggest need and that it should give us a, a spirit of trust and an idea that we can rely on God for whatever it is that we need every single day. We can remember how much he loves us and how much he wants the best for us. So let it increase your trust in him, your desire to go to him in prayer, and your belief that he is for you as you come up today and take a piece of bread. So as I said, we're going to move to a time of response. And in that time, we do a couple of things. So we're going to worship through song. The worship team is going to come back up here. Uh, and we are going to take communion. And so we, anybody can take communion with us. We just ask that you are a follower of Christ, that you do trust that God is the one who provides and that he's already provided for our greatest need through Jesus Christ. And if you want to take communion, you can come up and grab a piece of bread and a, a cup of juice or a gluten-free cracker if you are the gluten-sensitive uh, like me. And then at the same time, we're also going to have prayer in the back. So if you need prayer for anything, just find the person with the name tag uh, and you can talk with them. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to move into that time uh, of response and you can kind of uh, come up at your own timing. So please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have provided for us and met our greatest need, our need to be in relationship with you, our creator and sustainer. We confess that sometimes we forget about the sacrifice you made to save us, and we doubt your provision just like the Israelites did in the desert. Help us to rely on you daily and to trust in you for all, I, all our needs every day, uh, repeatedly as we wake up every morning. In your name we pray. Amen.